Take your Bible with me to Mark chapter 10 this morning. Mark chapter number 10. You're visiting with us this morning. We are delighted that you are here with us. We thank you for that. We pray and hope that the Lord blesses you for visiting with us this morning. Amen. Be in Mark chapter number 10 this morning. And let's pray once again before we read the scriptures. Lord, we, we do ask now that as we open your word, and I preach your word, I pray that you'd help us or give us understanding, eyes to see what you'd have for, have for us this morning. Lord, help us to receive it with an open heart and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So Mark chapter number 10, beginning our reading in verse number 46, we'll read down to the end of the chapter. And they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus is on the final journey of his life. He is on his way to Jerusalem for the annual Passover feast, but this time he will be the sacrificial lamb that will be slain at this Passover for the sins of the world. The very next event that Mark records for us, the beginning of Mark chapter 11, is the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, which marks the beginning of the last week of Jesus on this earth before his death. So in our text, Mark records for us one of the last events of Jesus before he goes to Jerusalem for the Passover. And in our text, Jesus passes through a city that we're all well familiar with, the city of Jericho. This would have been a very common place for Jews that were traveling from the north of, of Israel to the south of Israel to travel through, a very common place for people to go through uh, if they were on their way to the south. And in addition to this, of course, the Lord Jesus drew a large crowd with him, wherever he went, from city to city. Uh, the, the nation of Israel was intrigued by this healer, by this miracle worker. And so you have a city, Jericho, which is normally busy, busier than most cities, a flourishing city in the desert, a busy city. And then at this time of year, it would be especially busy as Israelites, as Jews go to Jerusalem for the annual Passover. So it's a busy city normally, but it is unusually busy for this time of year. And now we have a man who attracts an unusually large crowd wherever he goes, coming through a busy city at a busy time. So you can imagine a little bit of the crowd that is gathered in the city of Jericho at this time. In fact, to get a little better idea of just how busy it was in Jericho that day, you remember the story of Zacchaeus. Luke tells us about Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. And that gives us an idea of just how busy it was in Jericho when Jesus traveled through it. It was so busy that Zacchaeus, who was a man of little stature, 
If he was even going to be able to see with his eyeballs the Lord Jesus Christ, he was going to have to get up in a tree to elevate himself in order to, to just be able to see who Jesus was. That's how busy it was in Jericho that day. And it is in this crowded place with Jesus passing through on his way to be crucified that Jesus performs one of his last miracles. This is where we find one of the last salvation testimonies before the cross. And it's a wonderful story that has so many wonderful gospel themes in it. It gives us one of the greatest confessions of faith, if not the greatest confession of faith, in the entire gospel of Mark. It gives us a wonderful picture of the compassion, the sheer compassion of the Lord Jesus to a blind beggar. And perhaps the most unusual feature of this story is the fact that we know the name of this blind man, Bartimaeus. Uh, in no other miracle, another, no other healing miracle in the Gospel of Mark do we find the name of the subject who is healed. It is, it is Peter's mother-in-law. It is Jairus' daughter. It is the woman with the issue of the blood. It is never a named subject who is the subject of Jesus' healing, with this one exception. We find out that Mark gives us the name of this blind man, Bar Bartimaeus. And it tells us, by the way, that, uh, that this is most certainly a Gentile audience to whom Mark is writing. Because a Jewish audience would have known that Bartimaeus meant son of Timaeus. Bar, the prefix bar, means son of. So the name literally is son of Timaeus, Bartimaeus. But Mark gives us the description, the, the definition of the name after he gives us the name Bartimaeus, who was the son of Timaeus. Now, whether, uh, uh, nevertheless, uh, this unique feature of having his name given to us, I think is probably due to the fact that the audience to whom Mark was writing this gospel knew who Bartimaeus was. Uh, perhaps he, later on, we find out at the end of the story that Bartimaeus continued to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And perhaps he continued following the Lord Jesus even after his crucifixion and resurrection and became a well-known disciple in the church at that day. And in fact, in Matthew's gospel and in Luke's gospel, the story of this healing of Bartimaeus is supplied to us in those gospel records. But in those records, the name is not given to us. Only in Mark's gospel is the name provided to us. Of course, Matthew and Luke are written, writing to a, to a totally different audience. And in Matthew's gospel, he actually tells us that on this day, there were two blind men, another blind man alongside of Bartimaeus that were healed by Jesus uh, that was healed by Jesus at the exact same time. So why does Mark only focus on Bartimaeus, the man that was named, when he knows the detail of the man's name and just neglects the fact that there was another blind man? And again, I would simply suggest that it's because the folks that Mark was writing to knew who Bartimaeus was. And here is a testimony of a blind man that was saved and healed by the Lord Jesus whom they knew of and perhaps had even met themselves. Now, regardless of whether you agree with me on whether or not the church at Rome knew who Bartimaeus was, I think you'll agree with me that this is a wonderful story of the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Before the Lord Jesus met Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus was a blind, destitute beggar. He was hopeless, helpless. But after the Lord Jesus met him, his life was radically and gloriously changed. He woke up that morning blind, hopeless, dead in his sins. He went to bed that night with clear vision and with, uh, with the light of Jesus Christ shining inside of his heart. So I want us to consider the story very briefly uh, and consider the characteristics of this blind man that was healed by the Lord Jesus. 
First of all, consider the plight of Bartimaeus, the plight of Bartimaeus. He is most obviously blind. He experiences blindness. And have you ever been somewhere where the lights suddenly and unexpectedly went out? And, and in this particular context, it was really dark. There was no light shining in. And all of a sudden, you felt, you could almost feel, uh, with, with a certain tangibleness, uh, you could almost feel the darkness. You could feel it uh, pushing up against you. That's a little bit of what Bartimaeus felt like. Can you imagine the vulnerability? Can you imagine what he experienced? Uh, it's difficult to negotiate your surroundings. It's, you're completely vulnerable to the people that are around you. It's an awful plight to find yourself in. And imagine trying to be in that environment in a permanent state. You can never see. You can never experience light. You can never know what your environment is like. And that's what a blind man's world is like. He cannot see. He has no, he has no light. Now, we don't know if Bartimaeus was born blind. We don't know if he experienced an, if he had an accident that caused his blindness. We don't know if there was an infection that caused his blindness. But regardless, the current state that Bartimaeus finds himself in is one of blindness. And worse yet, in that world, in that first century Jewish world, if you were blind, it was usually uh, thought that you were under divine judgment that the reason that you were blind was because God was punishing you for some sort of sin in your past. Remember in John chapter 9, uh, the Lord Jesus heals the blind man. But before the Lord Jesus heals him, the disciples come to the Lord Jesus about the blind man, and they ask him, and, and by the way, this is the disciples. This is not an unlearned crowd. These are people that have traveled with the Lord Jesus. And this is what we find in John 9. The disciples ask Jesus, Master, who did sin? this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Now catch the assumption in that question. Someone sinned in order to cause this man's blindness. The question is not, did someone sin to cause the blindness? But the question is, who sinned to cause this man's blindness? The, the assumption is, is that if you are blind, it is because you or your parents have done something wrong in order to cause that blindness. And perhaps even Bartimaeus has come to accept that verdict of judgment upon himself. He knows that he's not only blind, but he knows that there is something that he has done to cause that blindness in himself. And boy, there are so many similarities, aren't there, between Bartimaeus and the sinner. Before I was saved, I was blind. Not physically blind, but spiritually blind. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4 tells us that the God of this world has blinded the minds of those that, are, those that do not believe in Christ. Before I, can, before I was confronted uh, with Christ and salvation... I was blind. Again, not physically, but spiritually. I could not see the truth of my sin. I could not see the truth of God's grace in my life. I could not see the value of the death of Christ on my behalf. And just as it would have been assumed in Bartimaeus's case, the blindness on my part was because of my own sin. This is what Zephaniah tells us in Zephaniah 1.17. I will bring distress upon men that they shall walk like blind men because... They have sinned against the Lord. Our spiritual blindness before we meet Christ is because we are, because we are sinners. And this spiritual blindness is a severe problem. It is a problem that causes us to have no hope before God, no hope of eternal life after this life. And if you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I hope this doesn't offend you, but you are blind. You are spiritually blind this morning 
and you need the light of Jesus Christ to come and touch you and fill your heart. So we consider the plight of Bartimaeus. We consider, secondly, the plea of Bartimaeus. Look with me at verse number 47. And when he, Bartimaeus, heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. As Jesus began to approach the area that Bartimaeus was located, Bartimaeus must have began to feel uh, some intense excitement. Uh, he probably heard some children running by with some excitement as the crowds began to build. He must have grabbed the skirt of someone that was walking by and asked him, what is going on? Why is the crowd uh, gaining excitement? Why is the anticipation growing? And somehow someone tells him that Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth is coming by. And Bartimaeus undoubtedly knew who this was. Uh, he had longed for this day to come. He knew, he knew who this man was. In fact, not too far away from here is a city called Bethany. You know what took place in Bethany? Lazarus, a friend of Jesus, was raised from the dead not too long ago. And surely Bartimaeus' word had reached Jericho that a dead man was raised from the dead by Jesus of Nazareth. So Bartimaeus knew who this man was. And perhaps he had longed for the day, just thought about in his blindness, man, if I could just encounter uh, this Jesus of Nazareth. If I could just get, a present, and get in the presence of Jesus of Nazareth, maybe he could touch me. He had heard that this man had control over nature. He had control over sin, over disease, over devils, and even over death itself. And so Bartimaeus in this position begins to cry out, as the verse says. And in a crowd this large, if Bartimaeus is going to get an attention, get a presence before Jesus of Nazareth, he is going to have to be really loud. You have to imagine the scene a little bit. He is not, he is not holding his composure, but he is crying out with a loud voice, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Repeatedly, over and over again, he is crying this out. And we know in verse number 47 that he is introduced, or Jesus is introduced to him as Jesus of Nazareth. Whoever told him that Jesus was coming through told him that he is the humble carpenter, Jesus of Nazareth. He is, he is the man from Nazareth that is coming through. But notice that when Bartimaeus cries out, verse 47, he does not repeat the title, the description that is given to him. He does not cry out, Jesus of Nazareth, but he cries out, Jesus, thou son of David. See, Bartimaeus, sitting in his blindness day after day begging, heard about these miracles that Jesus had performed. He had perhaps heard about the controversy that the Lord Jesus was a part of. And Bartimaeus had come to the conclusion that Jesus was not just a man, Amen. that Jesus was not just from Nazareth. He was not just an ordinary Jewish man that possessed unbelievable talent, but this man was the Messiah. Amen. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And that is a unique title, son of David. It's one that we only find one other time in the Gospel of Mark when Jesus himself calls himself the son of David. Nowhere else in Mark's Gospel do we find anybody referring to Jesus as the son of David. Bartimaeus has come to this conclusion all on his own. He is not repeating what he has heard somebody say, but he has come to believe in his heart that the healer that he knows that he wants to be confronted by is the Messiah, the son of David. So he knows who Jesus is. But he also knows who he is. He says, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy 
on me. Bartimaeus does not come to Jesus with a sense of entitlement. Bartimaeus is used to being rejected. He is used to being ignored, and perhaps he thinks that this will be another case of rejection. But he recognizes that in this state he needs pity. He needs compassion. He is not owed anything. Nobody, nobody is obligated to give him anything. He needs the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Bartimaeus recognizes who he is and who the Lord Jesus is. And you know, the same is true today. That a prerequisite for salvation is that you know who Christ is and who you are. <clears throat> you must recognize that the Lord Jesus is not just the humble carpenter from Nazareth, but he is the Son of God who has come to this earth to die for our sins and is now seated on the right hand of the throne. But you must also realize that you are an unworthy sinner. That Jesus does not owe you anything that nobody owes you anything, that you are an undeserving, unworthy, blind beggar. And what you need is nothing more than the mercy and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You must recognize that if he does not give you mercy, you will get what you deserve in eternity in hell. It is what, it is what we need, the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Consider thirdly the persistence of Bartimaeus. We see this in verse number 48. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And you get a real good sense for the societal position of a blind beggar at that time. You know, there, there are people in the audience that know that Jesus has healed blind people before. They know that. They, and perhaps they've even seen it with their own eyes, seen Jesus heal blind men. And they come across a blind man who wants to have his sight restored and they, they don't think to bring this blind man to the Lord Jesus. They look at this blind man as a nuisance, as an obstacle to where the Lord Jesus is going. It is a calloused crowd. They have no pity on him. They have no concern for this blind man. And yet Bartimaeus in his persistence cries out a bit more. But look at the next verse in verse number 49. And Jesus stood still. For all of the pleading and the persistence of Bartimaeus, it would have meant nothing, nothing, if the Lord Jesus would have not stood still and recognized Bartimaeus. But amidst Jesus on his journey to complete his mission, to give himself as a ransom for many, amidst the suffocating crowd that is pressing around the Lord Jesus, while no one else wants to hear the plea of the beggar, Jesus does. And Jesus was listening for the plea of Bartimaeus. No one would have blamed the Lord Jesus if he'd have kept on going. No one would have questioned him if he would have kept on going to Jerusalem, but Jesus stopped and heard the plea of the blind man. Aren't you thankful that that day when you cried out to the Lord Jesus, he heard you? I'm telling you right now, if you would have known me and if you would have been in the shoes of the Savior on the day that I called out, you would have rejected me. You would not have heard my cry, but thank the Lord that you are not the Savior. He is a compassionate, pitiful Savior who looks on us with mercy. Look with me at verse number 51. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. So Jesus asked in verse number 51, Bartimaeus, a very important question. What do you want? What do you want me to do for you? And we'll come back to this question in just a moment because it's a very important question in the context of this story. But Bartimaeus answers the question because he knows exactly what he wants. He's a blind man. 
What else does he want? He just wants to be able to see. He just wants to have his sight. Now, earlier we saw that Bartimaeus gives a great confession of who the Lord Jesus is. He says, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. But now we see that, that he changes his title of who Jesus is. In 51, again, the blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And though the Lord has made himself as a servant to Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus recognizes that he is not just the servant, but he is the Lord. And the usage of this word Lord here reminds me of how Thomas used it in John chapter 20. Remember in John 20, the disciples are gathered in a closed room. This is after the resurrection. They are, they are fearful. They are scared for their lives. And in that room, the Lord Jesus appears to them. And, and, and you remember Thomas doubted. Uh, he had no faith in the Lord Jesus' resurrection. So the Lord Jesus appears in that room to Thomas and basically says, uh, uh, Reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless but believing. And this is how Thomas responds to the Lord. Thomas responded by saying, My Lord and my God. He realized in that moment that he was standing in the presence of someone that was not just the suffering Savior, but he was the Lord God of the universe. And this is what Bartimaeus recognized in Mark chapter 10. That this servant who, is, who has made himself available to Bartimaeus is not just a servant. He's not just a humble servant. But he is the one that possesses power over nature, over, over, over devils, over disease, over death itself. He is not just a man. But this is, this is a man of God. A man sent from God. It's a wonderful confession. But we notice also the request. He just wants to be, he just wants to have his sight back. And you notice what a tremendous request that is. I would not ask you for something of, of that type. In fact, there's no one here that I would ask, would you give me a billion dollars? And the reason I wouldn't ask you that is because no one here can give me one billion dollars. I, I, I think pretty confidently. <laughs> I would not ask you for something that you cannot give me. So the request that Bartimaeus asks of the Lord Jesus implies confidence that this one he stands before can actually give him his sight back, something that no one else can do. You don't just go ask a random stranger, boy, I'd really like to have my sight back. He is a beggar. He asks everybody else for a little bit of money, for a little bit of alms. But he doesn't ask for alms from the Lord Jesus. He asks for his sight back, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And notice how the Lord responds in verse 52. Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. Now certainly Jesus is referring to his eyesight. He did receive clear vision as a, as a result of the touch of the Lord Jesus. But this man just wasn't just healed physically, but he was cleansed spiritually. I think that's what's implied by what Jesus says. Go thy, faith, thy, thy, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. Wholeness does not just speak to his eyesight. It speaks to an entire spiritual transformation. And just as the evidence of him receiving his sight was the fact that he saw, the evidence for spiritual transformation is also found in verse number 52 at the end of the verse where it says, He received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. And Luke's gospel tells us uh, that he followed him glorifying God. Bartimaeus, the evidence of spiritual transformation in his life was that he began to follow the Lord Jesus Christ glorifying God. He followed him all the way to the cross. And what a wonderful picture of salvation this is to us. 
But if I'm looking at the text right, I think there's a little bit more to the story than just a picture of salvation to us. As the Lord did on many occasions, the miracles that He performed were meant to be an object lesson to the disciples that followed Him. I'm thinking of the blind man that was healed in Mark chapter 8. Uh, in Mark chapter 8, the Lord Jesus takes a man in the city of Bethsaida, he leads him outside of the city, and He, he, uh, he, he puts some, some clay in his eyes and asks him if he can see. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an incomplete miracle because the man responds to Jesus, I, I see men walking as trees. So, so he had some of his vision restored, but not all of his vision. And it's an, it's an unusual miracle because we wouldn't expect that the Lord Jesus would do a miracle half-heartedly. And it's not like he was running out of power, he was running out of energy to perform that miracle. But rather, when we study the context, the miracle was meant as an object lesson to the disciples. The Lord Jesus had just been telling them that you have eyes to see, but you see not. You, you see, but you only have partial sight. You don't get what I'm actually trying to teach you. And then he uses this blind man to say that you need a second touch. You need to be able to see clearly what I'm trying to say to you. And in Mark chapter 10, I think that the healing of Bartimaeus is meant as an object lesson to the disciples, to teach them something that the Lord has been trying to teach them for several chapters chapters now. If we back up to verse number 31, we see what Jesus has been trying to teach them. He says, But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Now this is the lesson that, that the Lord has been trying to teach the disciples, and they are, they are simply not getting it. The disciples think that the way of Christ is the way to glory. They think that Christ is on His way to glory, not on His way to the cross. And surely, Christ is on His way to glory, but that is only, only by the way of the cross. He will receive glory, but only after He is resurrected and ascended up, up into heaven. And the disciples have had their minds the entire time that they followed Christ on the glory, the glory of following the Lord Jesus Christ. They, they themselves have not just witnessed the miracles of Jesus, but they have performed the miracles of Jesus. They have followed Jesus from the beginning, many of them anyway, and they think that they are entitled to a little bit of glory. And this section of Mark, which ends in Mark chapter 10, the very end of it, begins back in Mark chapter 8, and what we find is three separate times in these three chapters that the Lord Jesus tells the disciples that we are going to Jerusalem where I will be crucified, where I will be uh, delivered up into the hands of the religious leaders and I will be killed, uh, slain for the sins of the world. He's told them that three times on separate occasions. And in Mark chapter 10, uh, verses 32 to 34, he tells them this for the third time in this section of Scripture. He is trying to get the message across to them that the way of following Jesus is the way of the cross. It is, not the way of it is not the way of glory, but it is the way of death. It is not the way of comfort. It is the way of sacrifice. It is the way of death to self. They thought they were ushering in the kingdom. But they were actually going to the cross where Jesus would be slain for the sins of the world. And what the disciples hear as the Lord Jesus is telling them, the, telling them this is not that we're going to the cross, but that the end is near. That's what they hear that the end is near. And so in verse 35, two of the disciples ask the Lord Jesus a question. James and John, look with me at verse 35. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come to him saying, Master, we would thou 
that, that, that we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. Now, you cannot even imagine how tone deaf this statement is. In the previous verses, the Lord Jesus has just told them that I am going to Jerusalem to be killed. I am about to be slain, be killed and delivered into the hands of the religious leaders. And these two men have the audacity to come to Jesus on the tails of this and say, Lord, we've got a request. We know that this is all about you, but can we take just a moment and focus on us? We, we know that you're in a lot of turmoil here, a lot of turmoil, turmoil and intensity and anxiety here. But Lord, can we just focus on our needs, focus on our desires for just a minute? Do you, do you realize, I don't want to use a bad word, but do you realize how silly these disciples are in this moment for coming to the Lord Jesus with a request like this? They are ignorant fools in this moment if we're being honest. But if we're being honest... How often do we identify with the disciples in their request for a little bit of comfort? Lord, I know that I'm supposed to live for you, but can you just bless me with a little bit more material blessings? Lord, I know that I'm supposed to sacrifice for others, but can we just focus on me for just a little bit? Lord, I know I'm supposed to die to self, but can we just give self a little break? No, we wouldn't say that. Of course not. We're not sacrilegious like that. But our attitude very oftentimes portrays that attitude. Where, Lord, I really want to focus on me, not you. I know that I'm supposed to be living for you, but, Lord, I'm, I, I want something. I want something from you. We could sit up on our lofty perches and criticize the disciples, but we ought to be real careful to see if we have the same attitude that they had. And we see in verse number 37 that the selfishness of their heart comes out in their question. You see in verse number 36, I, sh I should point this out. And he said unto them, look at verse 36, because this is the key. He said unto them, what would ye that I should do for you? This is what connects us to the next story. The Lord Jesus asks the disciples, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do? And in verse 37, the disciples respond. They said unto him, grant unto us that we may sit, one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand, in thy glory. They want glory. They don't want the cross. They don't want sufferings. They don't want sacrifice. They want glory. Do you see the sense of entitlement that these disciples have? Surely they're thinking, Lord, we followed you from the beginning. We're worthy of a little bit of commendation. We're worthy of a little bit of glory. Surely we can get a little bit of glory when you come into your kingdom. The attitude of entitlement. Boy, isn't that what we have so often? We even see it with church pews. I, 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 I struggle to say this, but even in this church, you want me to move for a visitor? Me? You know how long I've been going to church here? That attitude of entitlement will absolutely, absolutely ruin your Christian life. It will. The Lord has called us to be servants. He's called us to go the way of the cross, the way of death to self, not to be entitled. You and I are not entitled to anything, not obligated to anything. But we've been called to the way of death, to the way of sacrifice, to the way of selflessness. But how oftentimes do we think, boy, they are misusing me. Boy, I didn't get the recognition and they did. Boy, I don't get to sit where I want to sit. I don't get the comforts that I want in life. And oftentimes our resentment is turned to the Lord Jesus as if he owes us anything. 
And it is in contrast to this that we meet Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus is not entitled to anything. He knows he's not entitled to anything. And when the Lord Jesus asks him what he just asked the disciples in verse 51, what wilt thou that I should do unto thee? What do you want from me? Lord, I just want to receive my sight. I just want to be able to see. I don't need glory. I just want to be able to see. That's it. And you know, when you got saved, you were totally content with just being able to see. You would have been content to just take out the trash. There was just some, some way that you could follow Him, serve Him. You'd have been content with just that. But as we follow the Lord Jesus, just like these disciples, and as time goes on, we think that we're entitled to something. Lord, do you know I've been following you for all of these years? I can't get a little bit of recognition. I can't get a better place of service in this life. But we need to be like that blind man who's not entitled to anything. He didn't feel entitlement to anything, but in fact felt an obligation to the Lord Jesus for receiving his sight, and he followed him all the way to the cross. Friends, we are not entitled to anything, but we are obligated to the Lord Jesus for everything. He has done so much for us. He's given us clear vision, given us a home in heaven, eternal life. We're not entitled to anything, but we are obligated to Him for everything. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank You for Your Word this morning. I pray that, pray that You'd help us as Christians not to have the attitude of entitlement. Lord, help us to have the attitude of privilege. Lord, it is a privilege to serve You. It is a privilege just to follow you, even if following you means self-sacrifice, self-denial. I pray that if anybody's here and they're not saved, Lord, I pray that you speak to their heart, uh, convince them of their sin, of their need for a Savior. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Let's